This morning we are returning to the story of David. We've been following David's life, and we're going to pick up this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 1. And if you're using a pew Bible, it's page 298. And in the large print Bibles, 459. 1 Samuel 26. And many times, as we've been looking at David's life, we've seen how David points us forward in so many ways to Jesus Christ. In his day, David was God's anointed one, God's Messiah. And Jesus was God's ultimate anointed one, the ultimate Messiah. But as we've looked at David's life, we have also seen that he is not Jesus. Although David foreshadows Jesus, it's also true that David is not divine. He's not sinless, and he's not superhuman. He suffers from the same weaknesses as you and I do. And at this point, we're looking at a period in David's life where really he is in a depression. Chapter 24 was a high point for David. You may remember Saul had been hunting David down, and David was given the opportunity in chapter 24 to kill Saul in the cave at En Gedi. But David very publicly on that occasion let Saul go. He announced that he was going to trust God to put things right. And he said to Saul, may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. David resolved to trust God and keep doing good instead of doing evil. But then came chapter 25. It was a chapter that opened by telling us about Samuel's death. Samuel, remember, was the one who had anointed David as a young boy. It was through Samuel that God's promises came to David. Promises of a kingdom. But at the time of Samuel's death, there's no sign of those promises being fulfilled. And after Samuel's death, David seems to slide into a bit of a dark place in his life. Certainly in the rest of chapter 25, we saw quite a different side of David. When the Israelite Nabal was rude to David, David was ready to kill Nabal and all Nabal's people fellow Israelites. And it was only God's intervention through Abigail that turned David aside from that. But chapter 25 was an indication to us that David is not doing well. At this point in time, his outlook is not good. Years of being homeless and on the run are taking their toll on David. And what we're going to see in our passage this morning is a David who is worn down and beginning to give up hope. He never stops saying the right things with his lips, but in his heart, in the center of himself, in the place where we hold our true emotions and beliefs, in that place, David is saying the wrong things. His heart is is parting company with the words that are on his lips. 
We could say that in his heart, David is preaching the wrong sermon to himself. And it could be that some of us are in a similar place this morning. Maybe we're still singing the hymns, still saying the right things, at least at home group and in the prayer meeting, but maybe our hearts are singing a different tune. Maybe we're preaching a different sermon in our hearts. Maybe our hearts are telling us we've waited long enough for God to fulfill his promises. And what we're going through just isn't bearable for us anymore. Maybe we'd be better off walking away. Maybe we'd be better off looking to someone or something other than God to solve our difficulty. So if you are anywhere close to that this morning, then you'll benefit from paying attention to the passage in front of us. I'm going to take the time to read from chapter 26, verse 1, through to chapter 28, verse 2. The Ziphites went to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding on the hill of Hakilah, which faces Jeshimon? So Saul went down to the desert of Ziph with his 3,000 select Israelite troops to search there for David. Saul made his camp beside the road on the hill of Hakilah facing Jeshimon. But David stayed in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had lain down. Saul was lying inside the camp, with the army camped around him. Then David asked Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai, son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, Who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? I'll go with you, said Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there was Saul, lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying round him. Abishai said to David, Today God has given your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Or his time will come and he will die. Or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointing. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. So David took the spear and water jug near Saul's head and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on top of the hill some distance away. There was a wide space between them. He called out to the army and to Abner, son of Ner. Aren't you going to answer me, Abner? Abner replied, Who are you who calls to the king? David said, You're a man, aren't you? Who is like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard your lord the king? Someone came to destroy your lord the king. 
What you have done is not good. As surely as the Lord lives, you and your man must die because you did not guard your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around you. Where are the king's spear and water jug that were near his head? Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is that your voice, David, my son? David replied, Yes, it is, my lord, the king. And he added, Why is my lord pursuing his servant? What have I done? And what wrong am I guilty of? Now let my lord, the king, listen to his servant's words. If the lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. If, however, people have done it, may they be cursed before the lord. They have driven me today from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, go, serve other gods. Now do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son. Because you considered my life precious today, I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have been terribly wrong. Here is the king's spear, David answered. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord gave you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things and will surely triumph. So David went on his way and Saul returned home. But David thought to himself, One of these days I shall be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel and I will slip out of his hand. So David and the 600 men with him left and went over to Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with him, and David had his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, the widow of Nabal. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns, that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So on that day, Achish gave him Ziklag, and it has belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. David lived in the Philistine territory for a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gizrites, and the Amalekites. From ancient times, these peoples had lived in the land extending to Shur and Egypt. Whenever David attacked an area, he did not leave a man or woman alive, but took sheep and cattle, donkeys and camels and clothes. Then he returned to Achish. When Achish asked, where did you go raiding today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of Jeremiel, or against the Negev of the Kenites. He did not leave a man or a woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform on us and say, this is what David did. 
And such was his practice as long as he lived in Philistine territory. Achish trusted David and said to himself, he has become so obnoxious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant for life. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. Achish said to David, you must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. David said, then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. Achish replied, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. This is God's word. There is a lot in chapter 26 that sounds familiar to us if we've been following this story. Verse 1 tells us it's the Ziphites who lead Saul to David. The Ziphites have done that before in chapter 23. Then verse 2 tells us Saul comes after David with 3,000 of his best soldiers. That's happened before too in chapter 24. And as before, David and his men are outnumbered five to one by Saul's men. David has 600 in his vagabond army. And in David's mind, it seems this latest betrayal by the Ziphites and this latest search for Saul amount to the last straw. One writer says, what happens next comes after many chapters full of high blood pressure narrative. It's the stuff that makes great movies, but it takes its toll on real people. David's hiding place at this point is the hill of Hakila. And we know that David has hidden there before. And Saul has come looking for him there before. What that means is, David has run out of new places to hide in Israel. Saul is becoming more and more familiar with the hiding places David uses. And so it must feel to David like the noose is closing a little tighter every time that Saul comes after him. David is reaching the point of being worn out by this. On this occasion, David's scouts tell him Saul has arrived in the area. David has a look at their camp from a distance. He seems to be able to find a position on another hill where he can look down and see the layout of the camp. But then verse 6 tells us, David then asked Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? I'll go with you, said Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul, lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Why does David do this? He's seen the camp already from a safe distance. He knows the setup already. The wagons are circled around the perimeter and Saul's in the middle surrounded by his 3,000 troops. What more can David learn by tiptoeing into the middle of this? 
Why would David do this unless he's toying with the idea of doing what he didn't do last time, back in the cave? Ending the pressure by killing Saul. And when he and Abishai, uh, Abishai get there, they find that it's all set up so beautifully for them. Where are the sentries? Why is everyone asleep? It's weird. It's so easy. And when they get to Saul, his spear is right there, right by his pillow. And David knows that spear very, very well. It's whizzed past his ear often enough in the past. And Abishai sees it all so clearly in verse 8. Abishai said to David, Today God has given your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. Abishai is a very predictable man. He's a nephew of David. He's the son or one of the sons of David's sister, Zeruiah. He and his brothers become prominent in 2 Samuel. His brothers are Joab and Azahel. And those three brothers are very, very loyal, but very, very dangerous men. A look over Abishai's life tells us that Abishai's answer to everything is to kill someone. Is he bothering you, David? I'll take care of it. Here he says, I won't need two goes at this, David. One shot and your troubles are over. And again, we have to ask, not only why has David come here, but why of all people does he bring Abishai with him? Unless he's been toying with the idea of doing what Abishai is suggesting. But having walked right up to the brink, David backs away. In verse 9, But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Or his time will come and he will die. Or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. So David took the spear and water jug near Saul's head and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. Whatever's been going through David's head and heart, he backs away from it. And I suspect that what he whispers here is as much to himself as it is to Abishai. I can't do this. Only God can do it. So he and Abishai tiptoe away with a couple of souvenirs. And you'll notice, David doesn't trust Abishai with the spear. Having told Abishai to get the spear, David ends up taking it himself. And almost in passing here, we're told how it was David and Abishai got in and out of the camp safely. It was the Lord. We'll see in a moment, David thinks his situation is hopeless. 
But despite what David thinks, even while he seems to be losing faith in the Lord, the Lord is with him, going before him and preserving him so that he can one day receive all God has promised him. So if you are going through a period of doubt, if you've decided that you're disappointed with God's performance in your life, just bear in mind, God is the one giving you life and breath to do your doubting. While you're focusing on being disappointed with him, he is continuing his work of leading you to the future he has for you. 2 Timothy says about God, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. When God calls us and when he promises us a future, he will be faithful to that calling and those promises. Even when you or I don't notice or don't want to notice his faithfulness. Well, once David is out of Saul's camp and a safe distance away from the camp, he apparently comes to a decision. David knows now that he's not going to kill Saul. But since Saul is still there, David decides that he has to go. First of all, he shouts to Abner, Saul's general, you're a disgrace, Abner. Saul's Really, he should be dead right now. And look, I've got his spear and his water jug to prove it. And by this time, Saul himself is awake. And Saul is in one of his contrite moods. I've seen those before. Probably he's contrite because he realizes he could have been lying there with a spear stuck in his head. And in verse 17 he says, Is that your voice, David, my son? But David is in no mood to be pally on this day. He says to Saul, why are you pursuing me? What have I done? What am I guilty of? Has the Lord sent you after me? Or was it your advisors? Then look what David says at the end of verse 19. They have driven me today from my share in the Lord's inheritance. And have said, go, serve other gods. Those words give us a significant insight into David's outlook. For him, this is the last straw. David has had one night too many sleeping on the floor of a cave. He's had one day too many trekking to yet another hiding place. One day too many sneaking around Israel waiting for the throne. And so David says, today you've driven me away from what God promised me. But actually, the reality is David has decided to walk away. He's decided to seek peace and security away from Israel. He's decided he's not going to get his share in the Lord's inheritance. David is worn out and walking away. 
Yes, he maintains his orthodoxy. He continues to say the right things about God. When Saul turns on his crocodile tears and asks David to come back home, David says in verse 23, the Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord gave you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. That's what David is saying in public. But look at chapter 27, verse 1. But David thought to himself, literally David said to his heart, One of these days I shall be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. I don't think that this is describing a one-off thought that just popped into David's head. This is describing his state of mind at this time. This is the background to what we've just read in chapter 26. This is the message David has been preaching to himself. One of these days, Saul's going to get me. The best thing I can do is escape to the Philistines. David has kept up his outward orthodoxy. He's saying the right theological stuff with his lips. But this is what's going on in his heart. And what goes on in our heart is what really controls us. That's why the book of Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. David knows the promises of God. He knows all about the faithful character of God. His Psalms prove that. David knows the truth about God, but that is not what David has been preaching to his heart. What he's been preaching to himself is that God isn't going to come through for him. That he's never going to get the inheritance God promised him. And that Saul, not God, is the one with the real power in this situation. That has been David's sermon to his heart. And this is the end result of his preaching. He decides to walk away from Israel to a place where the Lord is not worshipped. One commentator puts it, I think, helpfully like this. David was talking to himself, and what he kept saying to himself determined his action. What you say and keep saying to the center of you will direct your way. All of us propagandize our souls. That is, we constantly talk to ourselves. How crucial that we feed our souls true propaganda especially about the sufficiency of our God. So what are you saying to your soul these days? I think that's the question we all have to ask ourselves. What have you been saying to your soul this past week, this past month, 
Because whatever it is, it's going to determine what you do. If all week you're feeding your heart on the message that God has let you down, then you will act accordingly. No matter what I tell you on Sunday. We're called not just to listen to the truth and not just to read the truth in Scripture. Those things are very important. They're crucial. But then we must take what we read and what we hear and preach it to our hearts. And this is something David knew how to do. We read Psalm 62 earlier. And in that psalm, David says, My soul... He's talking to himself, preaching to himself. My soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall not be shaken. David tells us that as he wrote that psalm, he was surrounded by enemies. They were trying to topple him, he said. But at that point in his life, David was preaching the right message to his heart, his soul. My soul, find rest in God. But here, at this point in his life, David has been feeding his soul on another message. Everything's ruined. All is lost. I can't count on God. Poor me. And what David kept saying to himself was what determined his action. He upstakes and he heads for the Philistines. Like that's going to be any better. Well, actually, let's see if it is any better. Is this an escape to peace and security for David? Chapter 27, verse 2. So David and the 600 men with him left and went over to Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with him, and David had his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, the widow of Nabal. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns, that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So on that day, Achish gave him Ziklag, and it has belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. David lived in Philistine territory for a year and four months. We might wonder, why does Achish accept David? Well, by this time, David has a reputation as a famous outlaw. He has a personal army of 600 men. And no doubt, Achish is thinking something like this. Saul, over in Israel, is my enemy. And David is Saul's enemy. So maybe David can be useful to me. Apparently, Achish sees David and his army as a kind of mercenary force who can serve him. 
They're certainly not big enough to overthrow Achish, but they could do a lot of damage for Achish. He gives David the city of Ziklag, and for the first time in a long time, David has the luxury of living in a walled city, maybe even with a comfortable mattress instead of living in a cave. And Saul is no longer chasing him. So David is sitting pretty, right? His troubles are over. Well, not quite. It seems that Achish has welcomed David with a certain understanding. David can stay. He's welcome. He can have the city so long as he is useful to Achish. David has to earn his keep among the Philistines. And how does a band of mercenary soldiers earn their keep? They go out to raid and plunder. They take what they can, and they deliver the spoils to their host, Achish. David may be out of Saul's reach, and he might now have a walled city to live in. But now he has to keep his new boss happy. And that is going to be very tricky for David, because his new boss is a Philistine, and the enemy of the Philistines is Israel. What's David going to do? He has his walled city, but he can't just sit there and sip lattes all day. David has to ride out and start raiding towns and villages. Achish is going to be looking for a return on his investment in David. And so David starts to play a very dangerous game and a very bloody game. He goes out and he raids non-Israelite settlements. Then he comes back to Achish with the sheep and the cattle, the donkeys and clothes from those settlements. He tells Achish he's been attacking Israelites And the only way this works is because when David attacks a settlement, he leaves no one alive. That way, no one can come and report the truth to Achish. Look at verse 11. It says, David did not leave a man or woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform on us and say, this is what David did. And such was his practice as long as he lived in Philistine territory. Achish trusted David and said to himself, He has become so obnoxious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant for life. There are many occasions in Scripture when God's leaders are commanded by God to go and attack the enemies of Israel. But what David is doing here has not been commanded by God. Now, it is true that some of the people David attacks are ancient enemies of Israel. But David is not attacking them for the glory of God. He's attacking them so he can pay his Philistine master. In fact, you'll notice God is not mentioned once in this whole chapter. 
At this point in his life, David is serving Achish, not God. And morally speaking, David has got himself into a swamp here. He's caught up in a tangle of compromise and deception. And I can only imagine how exhausting this must be for David, trying to keep all of his lies straight in his head. It's a very dangerous game. David is deep in Philistine territory. And yes, for the moment, he seems to be getting away with it. Achish trusts him. But in an instant, the whole situation could change. David could find himself in very, very hot water. And in fact, that's what happens at the beginning of chapter 28. We're told, in those days, the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. Achish said to David, you must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. David said, then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. Achish replied, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now David really is in trouble. God has anointed him king of Israel. David's purpose in life is to shepherd God's people, to lead and protect the people God has chosen as his inheritance. But now... Because David has succeeded so well in impressing Israel's arch enemy, he's going to be lining up with Israel's enemies to slaughter God's people. This has turned into a nightmare for David. His deceit and his compromise have finally caught up with him. And it all started... Back in Israel, when David began saying to his heart, Saul's going to get me. I can't count on God's deliverance anymore. I have to get out. I have to look for security somewhere else. When David walked away from Israel, little did he know, if he only waited a year and a half, Saul would be dead and the throne would be his. That's what will happen by the end of this book. But David didn't wait. He gave up hope and he walked away. And now he's in a situation that's at least as difficult as the one he faced back in Israel. But there is a crucial difference. In Israel, David faced his difficulty as a servant of God, living among God's people. But here, David faces his new difficulty as a servant of Achish, living among God's enemies. So whenever you find yourself in difficulty, and you feel you just can't wait for God anymore, or trust him anymore, or be sure of him anymore, when you feel like that, Before you decide to walk away, stop and realize what you're walking to. 
Do you really imagine things are going to be better away from God? Will life really be less complicated? Will you really have more peace? More hope? I remember hearing a speaker at a conference talking about a friend of his. And this friend had been a pastor of a church. He was married with children. And he ran off with another woman. The speaker lost touch with him for a while, but when he spoke to the man a few years later, the man's new relationship had ended. And that man was full of regret about the decision he'd made. He summed up his situation by saying, I gave up everything for nothing. I suspect that standing here in front of Achish, David might have said the same thing. I gave up everything for nothing. So how do you and I avoid making the same mistake David made? We have to be preaching the right sermon to our heart. We have to be preaching to ourselves a sermon that's filled with the truth about God, God's trustworthiness, his sufficiency for every situation. And we could start with David's own words from Psalm 62. The sermon David should have been preaching to himself as he hid from Saul. My soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall not be shaken. We're going to close with two songs that preach what our hearts need to hear. We're going to sing, first of all, O my soul, arise and bless your maker. And then, behold our God.